Hi, this is Isaac from Unplanned Trek. Just letting you know that I've never, ever heard of Let's Talk About Treks. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Welcome back to Let's Talk About Treks. This is the fourth week of Earl Grey's away mission where he's off helping a family member overcome a crisis. And for this week, I am excited and overjoyed to bring a favorite of mine on board with the show. Uh, so for this week, uh, my name is Jack Dorino. And I'm Patrick Ireland from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. Thank you so much sir, for coming on the, the show this week. I really appreciate you for no, it. No, thank you very much for having me. I mean, I, I listen every week and uh, it's, it's really exciting to get the opportunity. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm missing Earl Grey. I hope everything's going well with him. Uh, but in his absence, I'm happy to uh, uh, join you and, uh, and help out however I can. Well, we both appreciate it. Uh, I check in with Earl Grey every few days and things seems to be in that sort of pattern where, you know, it seems like it's going to be better and then it's not quite as better as we thought it was, you know, but hopefully moving towards being able to have some freedom pretty soon. Hopefully. (laughs) So we shall see. Great. I was thinking about it during the whole time between when you agreed to come over here and now, and I realized, you know, it's going to be like a little taxing. Like this is going to be your, your second time addressing this one half hour of Star Trek. Ah, yes, but we can address it in a much more chill and and sort of put together fashion <laughs> than we usually do things on on the old It's Got Star Trek podcast. Uh, we can pretend. We can try. I can also correct some mistakes I, I may have had or steal some, <laughs> steal some observations from my co-hosts that I hadn't uh, <laughs> thought of myself, but I can, I can pretend like I thought of them here. Yes, absolutely. You are welcome to it. <laughs> So this week we're talking about Star Trek Lower Decks. It's season four, episode four, Something Borrowed, Something Green. In this episode, Tindy is summoned back to Orion for a wedding. Um, yeah, and I, I actually it was kind of interesting. I, I mentioned that at the last uh, at the end of our last podcast that, I you know, seeing the title, I was like, oh, I hope this isn't like a sort of standard sitcom thing where Tendi has an arranged marriage or something like that. I was delighted to see that they went in a completely uh, different direction. I, I too was afraid of the very same thing. I think I mentioned it also at the end of our last episode, like, oh, I think that she's has to because it it made me think of like Haven or Mm -hmm. uh, well, Haven, like it, it pretty much made me think of that. They're actually another thing speaking of which like um there are similarities that i noticed between the ideas of deanna troy and devon attendee mm-hmm. um same initials as oh that one that one i hadn't noticed <laughs> i hadn't either until you, you just mentioned deanna troy and devon uh, attendee not to jump too far forward but she's also the daughter of the fifth house mm-hmm. of orion uh, and she's, she's, I'm sure she's an heir to some sort of 
cup that's somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's probably sitting in a box in the garage. Well, you know, it's, so a couple of things. First of all, uh, I hadn't at all made the connection between, uh, and not just the initials connection, the, the connection between uh, the sort of the, the, the setup of Deanna Troy and Devon Attendee in terms of their rich families. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, the, the episode does, of course, reference Billups. There's some similar, similarities to Billups and his yeah. background. I thought about similarities to Esri from Deep Space Nine, um, in terms of having, you know, a, a wealthy family and not fill, huh. fulfilling whatever social obligations. Huh. Um, but another thing that you just made me think of when you mentioned Haven was that we've been sort of primed to think about Haven and Deanna Troy and stuff because of that box, the face yes. box. Correct. Um, yeah. <laughs> which which uh, was a prominent feature of that uh, episode. What was that? Was that last episode? That was last episode. That was the that last was, episode, right? Yeah, that was the... Uh... Lord, what is it called? Uh, in the Cradle of Vexalon. That was right? the one. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. All um, right. What do you What do you think? Oh, let me do this. This part I forgot. Um, this is the thirty fourth episode of all uh, episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks, and it is the nine hundredth episode of all of Star Trek. Wow. And now, is that something that people, I have to imagine in the Star Trek community, that that's something that we must debate, that specific number, depending on how you count certain things? I'm I'm sure that's likely, yeah. Because do people count the the short treks as a full unit of Star Trek? I I would, personally, but I could see somebody arguing that they didn't. I would. also the the, you know there's certain episodes where there are two-part episodes in syndication, but they were aired as one long episode. Right? How do you divide those up? Sure. I mean, this is being super, super pedantic, of course. No, I think that you. Well, I think that you have to call. Uh, if it has a two-part episode, I think you have to call. If the series begins with a two-part episode, I think you have to call ep- the the first episode, episode zero, mm. so that the numbers start appropriately. So, yeah, it's a tricky thing to get narrow narrow it down on that very specific number. So that would make would it I, as you're counting, you're going to come up to zeros, right? So you yes, you count it, but it doesn't count. I guess you just when you start counting, you have to start counting with zero. Like what's episode zero? Episode zero. Yeah, there is an episode. Well, you got zero. like the cage. Episode, the cage exactly is, kind, is kind of the Correct. episode zero. <laughs> That's exactly where I'm coming from. Yeah. So because we started with an episode zero, we just continue along the way and i i really don't know what numbers go into this count i know the movies go into this count that surprised me when i learned that a few yeah. a little while ago we use the count from memory alpha yeah I, and i you know I, i'm perfectly happy with this episode being considered the 900th uh episode i think it, it, it it's a good episode so it's uh why not this is as good as an episode as any to have in there agreed this episode was written by grace uh Parajane, who has I, if I'm not mistaken, penned at least a couple other episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks, and the director is Bob Suarez. Hmm. We are still in the year 2381. I have a question. What do you think about, how do you feel about aerodynamics in starships? <laughs> it's an age-old question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, strictly speaking, uh, certainly for the starships that don't have any intention of... Uh, uh, hanging out in in atmospheres, it shouldn't really yeah. matter, right? Uh, on the other hand, there's aesthetics 
and then there's uh, the potential for whatever head cannon or or b cannon you want for um uh, how warp fields work and all that other sure. stuff you can always yeah. come up with an excuse yeah, for something absolutely. to look cool yeah. right but I, I i always thought it was really great when they introduced the borg and these big cubes and kind of kind of stick it in the face of all the fans saying like yeah you don't need to have all this fancy nonsense yeah. <laughs> you know? 100%. yeah on the other hand hey a sense of style i think that's it's good for morale i'd imagine you know to have a certain aesthetic ethos that the you know whatever tribe you belong to prefers yeah which brings me to the spikes do they think they have a purpose like the cleave ship can like slice your your starship in half do you think the spikes they like i don't know flip around flip around and you know, stick themselves into the top of your ship or something that is a good question uh and again i guess no doubt you can come up with some engineering some magic engineering reason for it but i think it's perfectly fine to just say it's just pure aesthetics it's just like you just want to look look hardcore <laughs> or whatever and hey why not this is fair i think that's good. uh the people the the captain right of the of the orion ship mm-hmm. and the first officer that's mariner and freeman right similar although we saw uh, what i what i noticed what i guess a lot of people noticed was that the huh. first officer looked almost identical to uh, naomi nagata from the expanse I don't know if you're familiar with the Expanse television show. Not intimately. I've I've seen it and been curious, but yeah, I'm not. I'll say really. having watched that show, mm-hmm. it, it, to me, that was a, clearly a purposeful okay. homage to yeah, that yeah. character. Uh, I, I Probably just a little fun little thing to toss in there. It was just too many similarities to think it was just not meant to uh, sort of evoke that character from the Expanse. On one of our recent shows, another of our guests here on Let's Talk About Treks mentioned I think it was Chris Fisher, he said, had talked about bringing in Easter eggs that were not from Star Trek Mm -hmm. into Lower Decks. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. Like in the Cradle of Exelon, when Boimler dies and sees the uh, koala or, you know, whatever he, you know, maybe he's not quite dead dead. The room really, it it had a Mm. Twin Peaks vibe to it. Oh, thank you. That's what it was. And it was that red room in Twin Peaks. It wasn't identical, but the floor pattern was the same. The chairs were sort of set up. The vibe of that was similar. And I think that is one of those examples of, hey, we're taking a cue from outside of Trek and pulling it in so it'll it'll evoke certain emotions and feelings even if you don't even exactly get where it is you're like okay i get the vibe they're going for with this with this particular layout with this particular setup that's awesome i'm glad you answered that question because that question did come up last time and the backward speech was the only thing that Mm, gave me a clue to that but i didn't i don't know twin peaks well enough to pinpoint and say yes that is it but i do remember the backward speech being something that reminded me of that so i appreciate you closing that little loop for us it's a good way to do world building too especially with a show where it's constrained, right? Because the, mm-hmm. the each episode only has so much time. This was an issue that the 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 Star Trek the animated series had too, which uh, they had some great stories in that in that show. But you could tell sometimes they were just squeezing it in. They were eliding yeah. as much as they could or rushing mm-hmm. through things, and that happens sometimes here. I do think that happens in this episode later on. We can discuss yeah. that. Yeah. But um, the uh, by by using those cues from movies like Alien or TV shows like Twin Peaks or whatever, you can sort of 
steal a vibe from the culture uh-huh. 100%, that, yeah. that you don't even have to be fully uh, uh, familiar with the particular thing that's being referenced. But if it's it's sufficiently suffused into the culture that you can be like, OK, I, I again, I it's like I I know what I'm supposed to feel here and I know it quickly, which is efficient because they got to keep the story moving forward. Yeah. And it's without compacting a whole bunch of information like in a dump. Yeah. But there's a lot of implication in sh- uh, showing I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like the fact that the transporter's biofilter blocks stuff. Diseases. <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily alert you to what it's blocked. Also, they were coming from a shore leave planet, which just tells me yeah. that they are all filthy and they all just have all <laughs> kinds of diseases and stuff everywhere. Yeah. And the idea of the need for a biofilter, though, drives home for me the idea that the transporter doesn't actually, as I've been hearing bandied about, that the transporter destroys the copy of you that's in one place and then mm-hmm. creates another copy of you somewhere else. Yeah. Because if that were the case, there would be no need for a biofilter. Like I'm in in my head canon, you're they're actually taking all that matter, they're converting you to energy and then bring that energy up and then converting it back. That's why there's like a matter energy stream. What they're trying to tell us is no, we're not murdering people every single time they go in here. Because that is of course the immediate philosophical question. <laughs> it's like it's like am I just just getting killed each time I use this thing. That's the old uh, Dr. McCoy figured that that's what was going on. Uh, so I yes, I like that explanation. I think you're right. I think there's a logic to that, that, that clearly the intention is that we got the same people coming and going. I wonder if the function for cataloging stuff has to be turned off in order to not interfere with the Heisenberg compensators. Because, you know, like if you really like look at it too hard, it's going to yeah. make everything messed up. So it can't really <laughs> like organize stuff itself. You just have to like read the raw data and get the information out of there. Yeah, I, I guess if you look at it too closely, you start to see a few, <laughs> a few potential issues with the physical of the transport. <laughs> this is true, yes. <laughs> and then also, it just doesn't work anymore. And they're like, what happened? Let's not, let's not look too closely at the warp drive either. Let's, yeah, let's not. <laughs> at one point, I think it was a disaster. At one point, the magnetic containment of the fuel storage pod, right? So it's like the anti deuterium slush big storage pod, which sits way above the warp core. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mag. What do you? What is it? What do you call it? Electromagnetic. Kind of like it's shielding. Few, yeah, yeah. The magnetic <laughs> breaking uh, down. Yeah, because it the has bubble to like they put around it. Yeah, because you have to hold antimatter in. A, like in a fusion, like if you if you're trying to do a fusion thing, you got that magnetic bubble to hold everything. Yeah, in. so that things don't touch. They said those shields are breaking down, and I realized every time they eject the warp core, that's really not the most dangerous part of the. Is the most dangerous part of the ship is. The antimatter storage. Yeah. Right? It, it's Because everything bigger. just tears, it tears everything apart. Instantly. I don't... Nobody... There's no ejection for that, is there? Well, unless it's presumed to be a coincident to the actual warp core. And maybe it's all in one unit. Yeah, I don't think it can be. I think it's... Well, I mean, at least, like, looking at, like, the TNG technical manuals, it's pretty big. Like, they're pretty big fuel pods. Like, they're too yeah. big to... They, you don't think they would ejection. slide out. Yeah. Exactly. Now, what about this 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 vessel that's shown up? Now, we've seen this, of course, in most of the episodes this season. We have, we have uh, this this this, and this time it's you know it's at the beginning of the episode here. Yeah, uh, with this Orion ship, we get the comedy with these lower decks types 
Uh, they're so what are they plunder sorters? They are. That's their job. It's like a whole the, the whole ship is it's like a fuel trawler or something. It's yeah. like a cargo carrier or something. So it's like a sort of like a California class analogy yeah. to the Orions. And then like even the guy in there, the one male that's apparently aboard mm-hmm. there with them is uh, he reminds me of Mesk. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. So I like it. That's just like a standard, like the standard personality type for an Orion is like, bro, like Ransom yeah, would have would, a great time he living would. on Orion. <laughs> Maybe he'll have to visit uh, Orion next time. It's it's an interesting thing you point out because one thing I was thinking about these ships that have all been attacked by this this little white ship, they none of them seem to be like hero ships. They yeah. all seem to be sort of lower end or middle middle range utility ships. Yeah, uh, I could be wrong about that, but that's certainly the impression I've gotten we're not dealing with enterprises and the, the the flagships of these things these are utilitarian ships that are being vaporized or are they because I'm starting to think mm. that I don't know that these people are getting killed I think they're making us think they're getting killed they certainly look like they're being horrifically vaporized but I gotta kind of think that since they keep showing us this that maybe by the end of the season it's going to turn out something else is going on but I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you think of that? Uh, so I've heard that argument more than once in the past couple of weeks. And I'm starting to see that there is not a lack of uh, wanton violence on this show. Yeah, We had the whole Boimler thing. We've got Mariner getting stabbed up a whole bunch of times in this episode. So if they wanted to show some dead bodies floating through space, mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't hold back from showing some dead bodies floating through space that's a good point i guess in with that little piece of evidence it makes me say well potentially but then i'm trying to figure out like what would be the purpose and where are they going i will add that the ship is it's white right yeah like that's that there's generally like a meaning behind the color of things yeah yeah and they're like coming from out of the blue like this so there's that that might be supposed to be like some sort of tip off and yeah the idea of like it's clear that they're not showing dead bodies at this point the other thing that made me think about that and you know because i'd seen those theories floating around the internet as well and part of it was just like okay how what's the story they're telling this season right this is an episodic show but like strange new worlds is really good at like kind of like weaving in a little tale that goes along throughout the whole season sure. and culminates in the end and i was like all right well how are they going to culminate this and it's like okay one option the sort of obvious option is these ships keep getting destroyed and all these people are being murdered and we're going to find out why mm-hmm. and then that'll lead to some mystery or whatever but the slightly more potentially interesting twist would be mm-hmm. we thought they were all dead actually they're being put in a menagerie or they're being held prisoner or they whatever there's there's some uh-huh. thing that these people are being taken and used for that we don't know yet and and part of the reason why i think that is that the writers and mike mike mcmahon they they generally tend to go for something a little bit more interesting than uh-huh. maybe the immediate thing that comes to mind is is there a theme running through this season so far that has to do with responsibility? Certainly, that's been a focus of a number of episodes from different angles. You know, how do you handle responsibility? In this episode, it was Tendi's responsibility to her family mm-hmm. and her culture, mm-hmm. and as well as to herself, yeah. uh, and how those things can come into conflict. And previous episode, Boimler and Freeman were dealing with responsibility from different sort of sides of the career spectrum, right? Yeah. Uh, which you 
you you discussed last week. There was the thing with Mariner, uh, the Moopsy episode. Yes, absolutely, that fits. <laughs> and what about the, fir- uh, the first episode this season? It's been so long ago. I know. It's, it's <laughs> amazing how quickly these things fall out of my brain, even as a super nerd. But yeah, I do think that overall, I, there is that vibe of uh, of responsibility or some variation on that that could play into it. I, and I also, again, while I, and I don't know what it means, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of, my brain sticks on this idea that these are utilitarian ships and not captain kirk ships and not you yeah. know the top of the right so like yeah they're not trying to start a war it's not the klingon chancellor's flagship right, right? it's right. not the head of the romulan senate there's something there's a reason why even if the, whether they're getting killed or not there's a reason why these ships are being attacked and not you know more more important more strategically seemingly strategically more important ships and now that you mentioned i do kind of hesitate to even say the ships are being well the, okay so the ships are being attacked i don't know if the people are being attacked yeah i partly thought of it because you were talking about the transporter and i was thinking is there some sort of transporting action here some sort of zapping people into some other dimension or <laughs> or converting them into some other i don't know well, we'll see. I guess we'll we'll just have to find out. It's definitely clear that the bodies are not in the wreckage <laughs> at this point. At a minimum, it's doing its job of being intriguing and making us eager and curious to see more. So the more I think about it, the the only thing that the shape of that thing reminds me of is like one of the sarcophagi from first a couple episodes of Discovery. Oh yeah, that's right. Like that's pretty much all it makes me think of. I I'm fully aware that it probably has nothing to do with it. I think there's some people on the internet had suggested it shares some similarity in shape to the Delta Flyer uh, from yeah, Voyager. I did think that. Uh, although, you know, in a in a different orientation and different colors. Yeah. I could see that. I saw people make the comparison, but it wasn't fully convincing for me. It it, it didn't rule it out, but it 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 didn't fully convince me either. Yeah, so I think that if you take Worf's mother and T'Pring's father, that's who you have raising Tendi. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, Sh- was it Shona? Uh, yes, the Warrior Queen Shona. The Warrior Queen Shona, yeah. and my favorite name in Star Trek thus far, B- Bert. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah, <laughs> he's absolutely the best. Uh, t- uh, typical, as you mentioned, sort of bro style. <laughs> yeah. Not much going on in his head, seemingly. Dad, I mentioned this on our podcast, but the way that Noel Wells said Bert just impressed me to no end okay i don't know it was just in terms of voice acting that that she got all the little nuances in there uh to make it it's already funny on paper and then just the way she pronounces it it's just hilarious yeah to me it made it clear that it was an actual cultural thing yeah like that's just that's that's what the name is and it wasn't like a stumble over like it was unfamiliar or like it was supposed to be another name just like that's that's his name that's what we do and they did a great job with the names in this episode uh, because, of course, we have uh, Tendi's sister, De Erica. Yeah. Uh, and then there was one character, I think it was on the ship, uh, one, of, one of the people on the ship at the beginning, uh, named Deborah, uh, okay. uh, at least according to Memory Alpha. And, you know, there are a few other ones scattered in there. But, yeah, it's, uh, they're, having, they're having fun time while at also world building into the whole what do these different names and name constructions mean including the classic star trek tradition of introducing apostrophes into alien names yes i don't think that you are allowed to be an alien species without using at least one or two apostrophes (laughs) in your name or if you want you can have four or five syllables 
or if you'd like, you can have mostly Y's and K's and yeah. Z's, but very little vowels. Tendi, when she's in, uh, encountering uh, Derica's uh, ex, his name is pronounced Nile, which is just like a regular old name, but it's yeah. spelled out like N Y A apostrophe A L, right? So yeah, I think it's I think it's Neil. It, yeah, but I she, she's pronouncing it like Nile, right? That I don't know. That's how I heard it pronounced, and then it's like, but it's spelled out. It's it's different. It is indeed. But yeah, they're having fun with it. It's it's almost like Neil. Neil, yeah, it's like Neil, or yeah, it's it's right in between there. My favorite name in this episode was uh, Brotherford. I was glad (laughs) that that came up. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, that was great. I feel like when your Star Trek series get to the point where it has like its bro relationship, you know, you got like, you know, your O'Brien and Julian, Mm -hmm. you know, hanging out, having fun in the holodeck that like this is when your Star Trek series has hit its stride. You know, you got Barkley over there making people up in the holodeck, like that kind of thing. (laughs) Making up his own friends. Mm and lovers and problematically that's when your star trek series really gotten going yeah they're so good with the characterization and having the character growth over the course of these seasons Mm -hmm. particularly in lower decks i think lower decks is is exceptional at this ensuring that the characters they they are designed to be a certain way they have character growth so they do change a little bit they change in ways that make sense for that character but most importantly they interact and relate to the other characters in ways that make sense with their personality and this uh, Boimler and Rutherford situation is a perfect example of that in my mind because firstly it's so great to have them as roommates it makes so much sense to have them as roommates but at the same time they both as non-confrontational as they like to be they're they're also kind of you know they've got their hang-ups and to have that whole situation with the bonsai tree be what breaks apart their, their, yeah. their otherwise total harmonious relationship is is really funny but it's also realistic i think a lot of people in the audience could probably very much identify with that kind of situation where like that one thing causes some uh, issue between you and and somebody you care about 100 percent. plants are vastly important yeah number one that whole thing between them made me think of like this is like season one of the real world then people start being real and then like yeah. they're just fighting about nothing because they but they were they I, here's the thing i feel like they both have sort of a character that makes them kind of oakley doakley up front like they don't necessarily like go into like their deeper feelings too much and that might be like what they would do had they you know have some time alone Mm -hmm. or with a therapist or whatever Mm -hmm. with dr migley moon so it's interesting getting these two people that have that veneer of like positivity and like starfleet gung-ho-ness and see how they might be when you mm-hmm. put them together like this. It's funny how toward the end of this episode, uh, Chalnoth, is his name Chalnoth? Has like, has resolved this situation for them. Yeah, his name is, uh, his name is Kokor. His name is what? His, his name is Kokor. That's how it's spelled anyway. Two Q's. Kokor, two Q's, one C. <laughs> they only say his name like once. Let's uh, not say it again. Because I think it's sufficiently funny, right? <laughs> But uh, but he is, of course, a reference to TNG's allegiance from yes. season three, where Picard gets kidnapped 
for experiments and there's another Chalmouth. I think that's the only other one we've ever seen in Star Trek. It I think is. I yeah. was reading somewhere that this was the only the second appearance of that gr- group of people. This is the second time that the episode Allegiance has come up during conversations regarding this season of Lower Decks. I wish I could remember the exact circumstances of it, but that's very curious. It's very interesting that that just happened. Yeah, well, they're, go- they're going back to all the... Uh, the old hits. Yeah, they are. Uh, but yeah, with the uh, Boimler and Rutherford thing, I think where whereas there are times where the plot having to be forcibly constrained to such a short period of time mm-hmm. can be a drawback because they just don't, they don't have enough time to examine something to the to the degree maybe it, the idea that they're presenting is is worth examining. This is the opposite of that. This is something where I think the fact that they were able to show us in maybe the span of 30 seconds going from these guys are so on uh, like so in love with each other. Everything's so great. Yeah. And then, bam, it's uh-huh. completely destroyed. They hate each other now over nothing. Was, well, exactly. Over something so ridiculous. But yeah. again, we buy it from both of these characters. We can Certainly. buy that they would flip out over something otherwise totally meaningless. And then, you know, not to jump ahead, but when Chalnoth resolves the issue ultimately for them by eating the bonsai tree, yeah. p- partly what he's doing, I mean, partly what the story is doing is mocking how much they cared about this tree. And I, they sh- trees are awesome. Bonsai tree is cool. It's cool to yeah. take care of something. But it, it is really making the point to to the characters as this, this was a ridiculous thing for you guys to fight about because it's gone now <laughs> even the water's gone because he chugs the water too All right it, yes so it's like you know think adjust your uh, expectations moving forward because uh, you shouldn't be uh, stressing out about these types of things it seemed like there was the ulterior motive that Boimler and Rutherford had was to get the captain to come and solve their problem. Because that's what happened, was that their problem got solved. Well, and the other thing that I thought was very clever this episode was, under normal plotting, you would have expected this whole thing that was introduced, this conflict between Boimler and Rutherford, Mm. you would have expected it to keep escalating throughout the episode (laughs) in more and more ridiculous ways, and it would be resolved in some fashion at the end. But to my mind, they did this really clever twist where they actually, you know, Pseudo resolved their problem very quickly Agreed. and introduced this new problem, which is now they think that they can solve this diplomatic issue with this absurd uh, setup that happened to work for them, which is uh, <laughs> dueling, <laughs> dueling Samuel Clemens, dueling Mark yeah. Twain. <laughs> Who do you think was the best Samuel Clemens? Uh, I probably have to give it to Boimler for energy, but I got to uh-huh. say... I gotta say, Rutherford. Agreed. It, he was because he he went the slow fashion, right? Yes, he did the he more did slow indeed. style, <laughs> uh, whereas Boimler Boimler was going for the uh, more up tempo uh, version yeah. of Mark Twain. So indeed. there was a bit of that differentiation there. Yeah, if we if we were trying to get close to the one from the holodeck, then yeah. I, th- I think Rutherford I would definitely get the, the trophy for that one. Even though they both had good lines, Boimler. Uh, was a little quicker on the kind of Twainsyisms or Clemensism, whatever you want yes, to call them, absolutely, and layering yeah. them on, especially early on. And then when they went, when they both resolved things and they were both on the same page, they were spitting them out <laughs> like crazy, a hundred percent. Which I guess is what gave them the confidence to think, mm. "Hey, Captain, we might mm. have a solution for your problem." Interesting. So Tendi has a background of both science and piracy mm. right because we she has doesn't she have like a grandmother on that orion science ship from strange she mentioned New that, yeah yeah if, if it, it was either grandmother or great grandmother but definitely yeah. you know, somebody in her direct line 
I wonder if part of her familial wealth derives from some sort of mm. some scientific discoveries that maybe she was a part of. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, sometimes Star Trek has this issue of uh, making everything very monolithic. It's like, you can only be this, that, or the other thing, where it's like, no, actually, as you point out, <laughs> being good at science can get you all sorts of riches if that's what you're looking for. Unless you uh, really want to design a culture where it's like, oh, no, we can only get stuff through piracy. It's like, that seem, seems ridiculous. And we don't know a lot about the Orions. We, we mostly don't. from like hints here there we've learned a lot yeah. through tendy this episode is the most orion world building episode we've had in star trek to this point uh i hope we get to see more of it it was really i think this was the first time we've ever been to the planet orion i think so we've been to some outposts i think but not to the core planet of orion so yeah a lot of good opportunities and they've already filled in a lot of this space but they also open up opportunities for more exploration later on they did, absolutely. And I think they did a good job of balancing out the piracy part with the, like, able-to-be-diplomatic part. Yeah. I liked their straightforwardness. Yes. But I also liked the fact that they seemed to be able to operate in what we would consider a more civilized society without always being pirates, which is important, yeah. obviously, to bring your culture forward. I wonder if, like, at some point between now and Discovery, if Orion ever became part of the Federation, especially when it got so big. At some point, I imagine it's got to get so big that, you know, it's hard to be against. It's it's always an interesting question when it comes to uh, culture, particularly fictional culture, where you're allowed to play around with it and, and have some fun. But the idea is like, okay, if you've uh, developed this fictional culture that values for whatever reason, they have a moral value that they place on the idea of piracy. It's like, we think this is good. It's like, it's like, okay, that might be a hard thing to shake. Yeah. Or are they set up as we don't give a damn where we are, whether it's piracy or what, where we're getting the resources. We just need resources. You give us another way uh -huh. to get resources, and we're perfectly happy to do that. I think they're doing a better job here than Star Trek did traditionally in the past with like the Klingons. Okay. You were like with the Klingons for a long time, it was like, what, they're all warriors? That's a, they got to have yeah. like lawyers and doctors and stuff. And then Enterprise yeah. and a few other things, they start to introduce the idea. They're like, yeah, of course they have no non-warrior types, but they do have this kind of overarching warrior culture. Uh, so with the Orions here, they've given us a little bit more complexity, even though, again, limited by the time frame on the actual planet. Agreed. Though they do do a good job of bringing a lot of Orion stuff in to play yes. here, putting it on the field. Do you think they did a good job of mixing and matching prior Orion lore and sort of remixing it into its own thing. And by that, I mean, you know, we've got sort of the cage and some of the TOS style stuff. And then on Enterprise, they had the guys with the bolts in their head, which is yes. mentioned here. They have the pheromones, which drove a bunch of people <laughs> nuts. They're like, okay, what's the deal with that? It's very early 2000s style. Yes. Things like, oh, yes, the women control the men with the pheromones. And then in Lower Decks and Discovery, you know, they started to sort of shift away from that a little bit. But now they they we see guys with bolts in their heads in this episode. They're referenced in, in at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. So I, I was curious what you thought about how they're kind of plucking from a menu of pre previously existing things. 
I think that it's extremely clever to pull elements that are recognizable from across all these different little tiny mentions because now you've just like pulled it all into one culture and nothing clashes with anything else. We have a tendency to like end up going back and retconning stuff so that they contradict, but this goes right ahead and pulls everything together. I don't know the Enterprise era Orion stuff, but I may have seen that episode. Actually, there was an episode where it turned out that the women were in charge. Right? Yeah, it was called the. Uh, it was called Bounty. Yes, Bounty is the name of that episode. I have seen that episode, and I do like the way that they sort of deepened that lore and the way that they continued it here in Lower Decks because this this is sort of like a cultural hallmark or landmark that I would have expected to see would be like one of these pheromone dens. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, she called it a, a sanctuary. A sanctuary. I didn't even catch that. That's yeah. fantastic. That's yeah. a great name for it. Well, it's also funny when you think about how, you know, the behind the scenes, sort of the meta reasons for certain things, because they create in the cage in 1965. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're like, okay, how are we going to tempt this Captain Pike fella? Uh, we'll have a a, a woman who's completely green and sexy and she wants to sleep with him. Okay. Uh, and we'll call her an Orion slave girl. And there's even uh, uh, the Pike's doctor ref- references something about you're going to gallivant around with a Orion slave girl. And of course you fast forward a few years and you're like, okay, well, that's, that's a little bit problematic. The concept of a, of a slave girl, right? Uh, well, that, yeah. So they sort of get ignored for a while. And then in enterprise, again, it's the early 2000s sort of odd odd way of thinking of like oh you, you know what here's how yeah. we'll make it better Let's we'll make it, it that yeah. we'll make it that they're horrifically manipulative women that's feminism <laughs> right <laughs> it's feminism to say women manipulate the men to turn them into slaves yes. haha that's the joke the men were the slaves the whole time it's like no you didn't get it there should be no slaves <laughs> that's not that's not how you correct for past problems <laughs> let's just not have any slaves at all and i think that's what lower decks has done is yeah. is like you said they pull it all together where they say okay it is a female dominated society uh-huh. it's a matriarchal society that's clear and not just from lower decks <laughs> discovery was the same same deal you get the impression and there was that short trek you know with uh dwight from the office playing uh mud harry mud really good short trek but anyway there's a brief scene that in- involves orions and it's the same setup where the woman orion is the one who is nominally in charge so uh, Lower Decks is continuing and strengthening that by saying, look, it's not an oppressive thing necessarily. It's a cultural thing. It's a matriarchal yes. society. There are people who do yes. take advantage of it because that's, there are assholes in every culture, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but not not everybody's like that. And that's kind of the point that she's been trying to make re- repeatedly, that they're not all pirates, even though, of course, part of the comedy in this episode is that she like the stereotypes kept being it played out <laughs> and and well, she yeah. was worried that Talin was going to write all that stuff down and reinforce the stereotypes because of the particular situation they were in the thing about uh Talin and her little her little slate pad recording device Vulcans are extremely like nosy oh yeah like weren't they they were like we're trying to record us for i wouldn't have her along either especially saying yeah. that she was going to start recording things you guys always do that and then come around and start judging us you're right because they were like hanging out on earth just like spying on people wearing wool hats uh-huh. to <laughs> you know, uh-huh. just, uh they might argue vulcans might argue uh that they're merely curious but they're sort of aggressively curious and sneaky yes. about it. yes and then <laughs> they'll the- use it against you 
in yeah. a second. Vulcans are are kind of I think I don't know if they've actually done this in Star Trek, but I could see them using Vulcans in having some sort of variation on the debate on who owns or who's who's allowed to access knowledge, because yeah. you you in the real world you have these debates like uh, you know um, maybe there are some some native peoples who don't want archaeologists digging around in their sacred burial grounds. The archaeologists are arguing, well, this will provide very important scientific data. And yes. so there's this whole debate about that. I could uh -huh. see the Vulcans being the ones saying, no, we have the right to any and all information because we just want to know. We just want to know. We don't want to consider these emotional other things. So sure. it might be an interesting story down the line for them to do. I wonder specifically about the Vulcan outlook on employing a social media platform. <laughs> versus the Romulan intention to deploy a social media platform. In terms of like, like what type of information they'd be trying to slurp off of the uh, metadata? In terms of like how each of them would mandate its deployment. Mm. Like I'm sure the Romulans would say would have it wide open, but it actually wouldn't be wide open. Yeah. Yeah. But then also the Vulcans would say it was wide open and it also wouldn't be wide open. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question, because especially because of their familiarity with each other. Uh, yeah, you know, I... <laughs> another storyline they should they should to Lynn should should hear about uh, she should be going through some archival stuff and be like oh have you have you heard about uh, the MySpace <laughs> we, the, we should do something like the Vulcan space my apostrophe space it's MySpace it's M apostrophe <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be a really interesting time of the future Vulcan history where we're just becoming Navarre yeah that's like that's a whole social upheaval that it, it culminates with changing the name of the planet yeah that seems like there's got to be like I could you I could say <laughs> I was, do a say, I, could, or something. I was that's exactly what I was gonna say, yeah. but I may have I may be starting to lose faith in Star Trek and its ability to do short stuff. <laughs> oh, are well. you not a fan of you're not a fan of the very short tracks? I mean <laughs> it's okay. Okay, so the I don't know which which so the one that I've seen the most recently was a next generation one. Yeah. Which yeah. was horrifying. With the with the, with the boogers. <laughs> one one thousand percent horrifying. <laughs> I, I've been amused by them. They're very silly, but I've been amused by them. And I think one of the main differences in how well you're able to enjoy it is how basically how seriously how serious, you take it. Yeah. These are clearly meant to be some some goofy nonsense. Whereas Lower Decks, Prodigy, Short Treks, those are all intended to be canon canonical stories. And so they're, they're crafted with a certain reverence uh, or at least in theory should be i know some people had some qualms with some of the short treks as well but the very short treks from the very first one i saw with um the actor who plays kirk on that one oh, uh, it was i was like oh okay this is just some nonsense right this is like this is some silly nonsense that they're, oh they're this is the to skin a cat one Yes, to, to skin a cat. Okay, and then the uh, then the one with the Spock uh, being sad. I actually liked that one the best. I think some people hated that one, but I don't know. I was very amused. That was the was that <laughs> the Spock? Spock? He did like a show. Yes, he was trying to do like the bloopers. Yeah. It was Spock yeah. doing bloopers and not kind of fully understanding what bloopers were. He was showing like people getting murdered, horrible <laughs> like, things. Yeah, horrifically yes. on yeah. on away missions. To me, that was funny. But again, I'm not stressing out too much because this is not like a main Star. 
Trek story. I'm not stressing out in the same way as when if you see an episode where you're like, oh, man, that's just like a real disappointing thing they've introduced into the lore or whatever, which does happen sometimes in Star yeah. Trek. Is there going to be a debate coming up about whether the very short tracks are canon or not? Because they fit the I, uh, rules, per se. I, if that debate comes up, I'm firmly on the, I think these are clearly not canon. I, and normally I'm all about, who you know, fill canon up with whatever you want. But I don't know. It's just, there's there's aspects to them that are just so silly and don't make sense. Yeah, Bloomer's pants head is a little rough. Too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is yeah. probably the one I laughed at the most because it was so dumb. Um, but I, I'm also somebody who's very susceptible uh, and amenable to stupid humor. <laughs> so, and it's not ne- not necessarily something that's going to uh, uh, last the test of time either. I would I would also throw that in there. That uh, you know, these seem to be sort of like little one off things they are tossing out there. Uh, not exactly what people expected. I think that's the other thing probably that um, can impact some people's enjoyment or potential enjoyment of these yeah. very short tracks. Is yeah. I think people were thinking of something more deleted scenesy. Yeah. Basically when they introduced it as TAS style animation, but with other characters in the Star Trek lore, sure. then you're thinking, Oh, that's so awesome. I want to see that. I want to see a cool little story. And then you, you didn't expect it to be some lowbrow, silly humor. You <sighs> thought it was going to be like a little adventure and yeah. they didn't do that. And that's too bad. It is too bad, but at least we don't have prodigy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to find the bright side here. I don't. Think oh I my found gosh! It. Yeah, it seems like they're going to sort out the whole second season eventually. So at least we'll get to see that. Yeah. And maybe if we're lucky, they'll be able to bring it back because uh, I really enjoyed Prodigy. I yeah. wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it. I I always thought, hey, it's cool. It's great to have something for a, a different audience, a different group of people. I wasn't sure if it was going to be my cup of tea. The first few episodes, I thought, ah, it's a little frenetic, a little Star Wars-y. And then by that third episode, it clicked, and I was like, all right, they're, I, I see what they're doing here. And yeah. it was just, it it, it was like full-on super Star Trek uh, yeah. throughout the rest of the first season. I, I really enjoyed them building our way into the universe, because they yes. did a lot of a lot of teaching up front, and then we began using things, and then we wanted an adventure. It was cool, and I was looking forward to see, you know, what's going to happen with this brand new, like newly minted ship and crew. Yeah. And stuff. So it was going to be cool. And I also love Jason Manzukis uh, in anything, and he plays uh, Pog. Yeah, and he's just fantastic, and and also he's in in, in most of his comedy and roles is so insane and vulgar. It's yes. just kind of hilarious to hear him <laughs> in a yeah. children's television show. Absolutely. Let's do this really quickly since we we veered off a little bit. Why don't we? Why don't you, Patrick, tell us about uh, some other things that might be connected to you and how people might reach out to you and, and talk to you or interact with? Oh, you? sure, absolutely. Well, I do uh, host a podcast with my co-hosts Dan and Jesse each week called the It's Got Star Trek Podcast. Uh, it's a silly podcast, but we you know we have fun. We have a goal of having at least one insightful point per episode. <laughs> per one and a half hour episode. <laughs> uh, we don't always 
<laughs> meet that goal, but we try. And we, I think we just completed 207 episodes. So we've been around for a little while. Uh, we put out content every week. And so it would be great uh, if any of your listeners would uh, love to come check us out, give us a try. Um, if they're not sure, they should check out our 200th episode that you guested on. You you submitted an audio recording. I did. Because we had a 200th episode uh, special-tacular with uh, people sending in audio recordings and emails and stuff like that. So that's kind of a fun episode to listen to. But yeah. you can you can find us anywhere on uh, on all the social medias. We're we're not taking sides in the social media war that's going on right now. So we're everywhere uh, at it's got Star Trek. So that's uh, Twitter and Blue Sky and Mastodon and YouTube and Facebook and all that all that stuff. You can find us find us out there. Yes, you guys have an awesome show. I really really look forward to it every week. I, I sometimes I feel like I'm rushing through the editing of this show because I don't want to you know, I don't want to listen to your show before I we do before I record this show yeah, so I feel uh, like yeah, yeah, absolutely. My, so like I have to like hurry up and finish this so I can get to you I actually I, I do the exact same thing uh we you know we try to we try to do a real good job with the editing but uh it is nice to have it done because then it's like okay now we can go go chill out and uh, yeah. uh, listen to what else is going on out there yeah, I do envy that Monday release <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Oh, we used to release on Saturday because we were stupid. Uh, we, <laughs> we episode job Thursday. We record Friday. Wow. Release it on Saturday, and after a while, I was like, I can't do this yeah, anymore. Just breakneck. <laughs> it's not enough uh, wiggle room. Uh, so now, yeah, now Mondays, uh, Mondays at midnight, twelve a.m. Monday Eastern Time, GMT minus four or five, depending on the time <laughs> of year that you're listening to this. That's correct. <laughs> I think that control of others with drugs is like a theme in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently had it with, well, I was going to say recently had it with the Onarans, but that wasn't, it wasn't, re- well, it was kind of recent. Be- well, it wasn't recent. I'm thinking of the Lower Decks one that yeah. referenced the the Onaran one. I feel like there was another one recently that happened. It's something about um, Jim Hadar. Maybe that was just a conversation that I had. Oh, because it was. I mean, we're always talking about Jim Hadar, you know. Yeah, Catch Yourself Right. Catch Yourself White came up in that that episode, and it was the whole thing about drugs and controlling other people with substances. I feel like has come up several times over over a little while, a very Mm -hmm. short while in Star Trek. You had the the little vial that that Mbenga had. Yeah, it's just like I don't know if they're trying to introduce some sort of theme about drugs or what what it is they're trying to say about it or whether they have a unified message at all the way they did back in like the 80s the late 80s yeah it is funny when you go back and watch tng and they make reference or there's some fairly heavy metaphors about drug use that to a modern perspective at least for a lot of folks is kind of like whoa that's like some proper like ronald reagan just say no oh yeah that's the wesley tasha scene Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Like drugs make you feel good, or whatever. <laughs> whatever he says, it's like you're damn right they do. Uh, but you know, more recently, you know, they've they've again, it's not been consistent necessarily because they on Picard, right? They presented Raffi mm. as having a quote unquote addiction to yes. snake leaf. Yeah. Right, so snake leaf was seemed to be like some sort of a future analog for weed or cannabis. But then more recently, also on Picard, uh, they reference cannabis, and it's just sort of like a jokey yes. throwaway thing where mm-hmm. uh, Seven of Nine is talking to Captain Shaw and referencing something about cannabis, and he was like, oh, "I wish I had some cannabis." Whatever it was, yeah, but it was clearly yeah, yeah. like a a different sort of more modern view, at least with regard to cannabis. Yeah, it was. And then the whole pheromone thing here, and then the variations on that theme of mind 
mind control drugs is is interesting because that's just a sci-fi thing even before sci-fi i think that's sort of a concept that goes back you could probably argue uh, to like the greek you know the the, the harpies and stuff absolutely uh, you know using the you know sort of controlling men is often the case not always in star this trek is but factual yeah often it's controlling men or certainly controlling people who are in power and and not just influencing them by saying hey if you do what I'll say, I'll give you the drug you like. It's more like, no, I'm going to brainwash you using the the drug and then you'll do it. I mean, I guess it's fundamentally about the addiction, but I don't know. I don't think they're very consistent or clear with the message. I think sometimes they put something something in there, but I don't know if it's uh, fully coherent. Certainly not across the franchise. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a good thing that they're not trying to establish a consistent message with that because when they do try to establish consistent messages like that, it's like it doesn't go very well yeah i guess that's sort of like the new mode of star trek is we kind of look at things from different angles Mm -hmm. and don't really prescribe what's a what's a correct and what's not a correct but we do like show what the fallout of decisions is i guess Mm -hmm. yeah i agree and i think that's uh you know one of the things with this episode was they introduced this idea where tendy has chosen to not fulfill whatever her society's obligations are being put on her right they're 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 not her desires she chooses to to go join starfleet but there is of course an impact on other people in this case her yes. sister and yes. so you know we talked a little bit about this on on it's got star trek uh dan and i got into it a little bit about sort of the different angles on uh what does that mean and what are what are the responsibilities of considering other people or your impact even if it's something that you're fully justified in doing and in this episode i think one of the critiques i have it's not really a critique it's just more of an observation that there wasn't enough time for that idea to breathe they didn't really in, in examine that idea very Agreed. much right they yeah. just sort of introduced it and then resolved it very quickly it's all nice it's good it was but it was very tidy and it left me thinking like no no i want there to be more exposition and more sort of examples of like what's good and bad and about this about doing this and like uh, what exactly is the background of tendy's relationship with her sister so there was just a lot of information we didn't have to fully judge the situation the only reason we don't have to is it becomes moot because tendy and her sister very rapidly resolve their issue right right so the philosophical question just disappears because it's like okay it doesn't matter anymore they figured it out yeah i did want them to expressly tie back tendy's you know desire to go into science to her family you're right they didn't mention her grandma it's kind of interesting that they didn't mention that yeah i think if we had had a little more time like you said in that sort of storyline to breathe we could have touched that we could have also touched on like what does it mean to like is she abdicating abdicating a throne like her mother is a warrior queen so would that Mm -hmm. make her Zena, <laughs> the warrior princess. Tendi, warrior princess, Devana. Would that make her like, is she stepping down from a throne and then her yeah. little sister has to ascend? Is she like abdicating 
all is she like is she doing like a harry and megan kind of thing and going to starfleet or is she still part of the family and still has is like mm-hmm. part of that succession or is yeah. she like now cut off and if she's cut off then why are they calling her so clearly she's not cut off maybe until the marriage happens well i actually uh, uh, something i really liked about this setup was that the impression i got was there that the the family did not have any serious issue with her they were disappointed maybe that yes. she wasn't fulfilling her role but there didn't seem to be any real animosity maybe a little yeah. aggravation yeah. and i kind of like that it's i got nothing against stories because they are realistic stories where families cut people off because of choices they make or or just facts of people's lives that make them incompatible with their family right we know there's m- many examples of that but it is also nice and and also relatable to see a regular old family where it's yeah there's some strife there's some drama but they're still they can still relate to each other and she and her sister were able to they had this issue but they were able to resolve the issue because they were both open to whatever in whatever orion fashion they were they were open to resolving it uh which i i thought that was kind of nice it wasn't oh i was kicked out of my family because i chose science uh if anything it was tendy who was kind of keeping a distance from her family because she didn't want the taint of um of the of the piracy you know the stereotypes to to go to to be stick to her when during her starfleet career so the only way i think to get tendy to come back to orion would have been to do exactly what her sister did yeah her sister was very intelligent her her sister knew exactly what had to be done and and basically played her played Tendi right played Devana because she knew she knew her well it is more evidence that she knew her sister very well she yeah. knew that this this would work yeah I think Tendi knew it right back right at the beginning well when her mother told her like no this kidnapping this happened this is supposed to happen at this time not this time yeah so that it was, it was, I, it was, it was after like it was after save the dates but before invitation yeah like <laughs> that should include you in right there okay well something is different about this yeah yeah i, I feel like tendy probably had an idea that everything was okay she, she never seemed anxious about it yeah certainly not at the beginning she may be a little bit more concerned when her mom pointed out it wasn't quite right but she still thought eh, whatever she got most concerned when she talked to tendy's ex-partner yeah i know when she talked to madam g and was like oh it's it's uh D- D- erica's ex partner is involved still loves her and and then tendy was like oh well maybe he's doing some crazy nonsense um that's when she seemed to show a little bit more concern oh see okay so i've watched this episode <laughs> at least four times <laughs> so the guy that she married was not nate neal uh, no I, I was confused by that too but uh. it, i don't believe that was neal uh, or Neil or Nile. Yeah, <laughs> I believe because they went. They sp- specifically stated that he, her ex partner Nial, was bitter huh. that she was getting married because he still loved Derica, and so the concern was that he was going to, you know, he did something, you know, to stop the wedding. Uh. Uh, but as it turned out, no, he's in a moan dungeon, <laughs> a sanctuary, <laughs> yeah. which is yes. I'm glad you taught me that term because that's <laughs> excellent. And uh, he seemed to be just as addicted at the end there and just as happy to stick there so i it seemed like he wasn't going to be involved in in anything moving forward got it yeah because he's definitely stuck at ursula's feet 
Yeah. And you could, you could, the analogy there is the spurned lover in like the late 1800s who goes to the opium parlor to drown out his, you know, replace his, his, his love of his ex with the, the love of the opium. Uh, but in this case, of course, it's the armpit pheromones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really gross, by the way. It's, it, it's extremely gross. <laughs> it so I don't know which one is gross. Well, so I kind of get it. I understand it. Yes, very gross, but also very like it seems kind of crueler than other forms because it's like using your own instincts against you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's like almost computer programming. Yeah. And of course, conveniently and intelligently, Tendi had come to the sanctuary armed with a custom formulation of anti-hormones or whatever, some sort of antidote. Oh, of course. And I, again, this is what's so great about this show is everything that happened here in this plot and characters, it all makes sense with what we know about Orion's and these characters and how they interact. Tendi's smart enough to do that. She's smart enough to not only formulate that, but to think ahead and be like, oh, I'm going to need this. Absolutely. I'm going into a sanctuary. What do you think the purpose of... Okay, so when she sprayed the Orion men, did they change to like normal human shades? Well, I, that was actually very weird weird because it, that was just a mist yeah because if you look closely the last few frames the mist goes away and they go back to their normal green color right. but there was something weird with the mist i i think it was an odd choice to be like okay this is a couple of white dudes now well it was uh, but it was actually a couple of white dudes and a black guy oh was there a black guy back there yeah because oh, I, I focus on the two dudes that's and that's what made me realize okay well it's not just the color of the mist going through it's actually a change like they've that's actually weird. changed yeah I got to go back and watch that. Yeah, it was That's very bizarre. strange. I don't know. It seemed like were they be <laughs> It seemed like were they being like <laughs> what do you what's the word for it? Like um as a bureau would be able to tell me. Yeah. Were they being like alien races? Like they're magically turned into humans for a second and then suddenly yeah. they have their wits about them? Is that the it, kind of thing that they were trying to say? You no, know, you're right. Yeah, from Star yeah, as it burr from Star Trek Six, you know, pointing out is like you you know, you know, humanity and you know inalienable stuff. human rights. Inalienable right. human rights. So like these guys turn unalien for a second and suddenly they're okay. Is that That's what you're trying to say? I'm gonna go back and watch when we're done here, I'm gonna go back and watch that episode again. And specifically look for that because I yeah. did I, I was weirded out by by that change in hue brief change in hue it's very strange. Uh, yeah and I guess they were just looking for some visual uh, cue that, to show that something happened but yeah now I'm going to look back because I was already was I was like are these just white people and I was like oh it's a couple of white people and a black guy and so what if what exactly are they saying there? Yeah, but yeah. but I did. Uh, other than that, the uh, the idea that you could ruin somebody's career or whatever her business, whatever this, I don't know if it's a business or is some sort of slave setup. I'm not sure exactly what this century was all about. Yeah, I was curious about what what the structure was here too. Like, are there are the women that are in there and not Ursula the mermaid? Are the rest of them? Yeah, like, are they <laughs> yeah. like regular sex workers? Or who's the sex? Are the men the sex workers? Exactly. Or, uh, what's the deal? What's the structure? <laughs> How does this work? I must know for for my. I'm going on vacation next month, and I'll need to know. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the. I think it's important that to note that you know Lower Decks has done a really good job of uh, introducing all manner of combinations of identity uh -huh. within all the different 
alien races in background and stuff like that you always see different groups of people interacting in romantic or un- non-romantic ways yes and with the but with the orions you, they it's they didn't explain it in this episode in the enterprise episode it was women influence men right it was very clear binary that doesn't fly anymore so they did have a number of people of different apparent gender identities represented in this sanctuary but as you note it wasn't 100 percent clear certainly not on the you know i watched it three times i i didn't i didn't catch whether all the women were controlling all the men or were some of the women controlling some of the women Right, because that would make mm. sense, right? You think sure. you'd think in a reasonable sense that there would be different people would be able to manipulate their pheromones in different ways, including Absolutely. some men who might be able to do that too, right? Correct. So, I, I I think there's a lot to a lot of interesting potential stuff there that they they didn't make clear in this episode, or I don't think they made clear, but it would be kind of interesting if they explored a little bit down the line, even if it's only in the background. Agreed. That is one of those very interesting. You could make that species very, very interesting to explore. Yeah. Um, similar, I feel the same way about the Orions, and uh, it seems like the two. If you, it seems like you could put the two of those species in some way. Which species? The Orions in, and who else? The, the Andorians. Oh, the Andorians. Gotcha. Yeah. They, they, oh, did I say Orions? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Right. I think that putting Orions and Andorians together would be very interesting in ways like something along the lines of putting Cardassia and Bajor sort mm-hmm. of in the same series. Like being able to explore those two would be pretty interesting, I think, That's because there are very like unique things about them that would make their culture very alien to what we could think about experience on a yes. daily basis you know which is part of the fun of sci-fi generally and especially star trek for sure and of course uh you know i think it's a valid criticism of star trek going way back that it has the tendency of humans are very diverse and then all the other cultures it's just this they're all monolithic yeah <laughs> right they're all yeah. monolithic uh-huh. now over time they've changed that especially for some of the core cultures Absolutely. and then the newer shows is including introducing new cultures or going back to sort of underdeveloped cultures have done i think a really good job of having having more diversity but at the same time uh, that critique noted that caveat made from a story standpoint, from a metaphor standpoint, I understand the utility sometimes of saying, okay, there's a certain uniformity of of this group. Maybe it shouldn't be a whole planet of people, but you know, you have a little group and then, then you can set up certain philosophical discussions, yeah. you know, that, ba- you know, by banding, you know, the, the, like the Ferengi or whatever, we're always really good at that. I was happy when the Ferengi got expanded on greatly in Deep Space Nine. Sure. To be made much more interesting and less problematic, but there's still that really useful idea of like, what do you do with a hyper-capitalistic society, you know, bumping up against a, a, a less capitalistic society? Yeah, there are the questions about how to, how to mix those two together. But yeah, they 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 really didn't make the Ferengi interesting at first. Well, the things that they made interesting about the Ferengi at first were not the things that became interesting about the yeah. Ferengi towards the most recent parts of their story, right? Like, I don't remember seeing a bull, a blue throw it underhand whip 
yeah for the <laughs> last wind. like 30 some years like what happened to that <laughs> thing that was pretty cool the like forehead cool. tattoos from the military yes like that was cool i i wanted to learn what the little like shiny back of the head sheath was mm-hmm. never learned what that was about either I, I mean, I know what that's about from behind the scenes, which was it was a pain in the ass to do the makeup for the back <laughs> yeah, of your head. Yeah, we got to cover that seam. That's yeah, that horrible seam. So that cork was the first guy because they were like, well, we're going to spend a lot of money on this guy because he's on every episode. Uh, so they let him have it. I think even Rom had a back thing for a while, and then yeah. eventually they they let him get rid of it. Yeah, most people most people had one. Yeah, along with this theme of leadership that seems to be uh, running through as sort of like a thread in this season something comes to mind that i've been hearing actually a lot about in the world recently maybe it has to do with people you know having a lot of people having changed jobs recently but i've been hearing this thing about imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. where you don't necessarily feel like you are proving that you are deserving of the role that you have and you constantly worry like oh my god does everybody see that i'm the naked emperor (laughs) yeah I've heard the analogy be uh, for imposter syndrome is like uh, uh, if you smoke too much weed or something and you go outside and you're like, oh, no, everyone knows. We can all tell. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Same idea. So I wonder if that also might have something to do with whatever that ship is. Do you think, well, in what way? Do you think they're an imposter? <laughs> or do you think they're they're zapping all these people for... Uh, whether they're killing them or kidnapping them, like what's what's the deal? What are they doing? I don't know. I I would I I would like to say that they they're gonna try to replace. Ooh, maybe they're gonna they're gonna return from the fogs mm-hmm. of a lake in Michigan. And <laughs> if you count <laughs> yeah. up, there's probably about four thousand four hundred. Four hundred, yeah, from the forty four hundred. Wait, waiting in out of the shadows. I don't even know. What what a great uh, show! That was a great show. It really was. I was it, really I, upset when it ended. Like, yeah, I didn't see really the. I did, didn't they make? They made a new one, didn't they? I never watched if they I made a new one. I feel like I remember them saying something about. I th- was it like an animated? No, it was like a like movie or something. But yeah, that show back in the day was that you know for for those of us who got to live in the '90s and early 2000s, there was some pretty wicked, awesome sci-fi being produced. And it was great because it, 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 you know, Star Trek was on, which was excellent, but there was all these other stuff too. Yeah. Uh, varying quality, of course, but some of it was dealing with some kind of interesting stuff. And 4400 was one of the ones that I think had one of the more, more interesting concepts. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot to it. Um, also, The Dead Zone, yeah. which picked up Ezri Dax. Or was it was that before Ezri Dax or after? I don't remember. You know, I don't remember. But she was also in the Cube, wasn't she? I think she, she was, was in the, cube. In the movie be- The Cube. Be- she, that was before. Correct. I think that was before Geese Race Nine. It was. Yeah, the Daxes like to do horror movies. Apparently. Yes, they do. That's a thing that they do. Oh, there. So, like, also around that time was like Lex and uh, Farscape, of course. Farscape was great. Lex was interesting. Time Tracks was. I I, I only remember that I watched that show. And I liked it. I don't know if it was any good. I remember the name, but that's all I remember. 
And Is then there a portal involved there? Yeah, it was a, it was like a guy with a motorcycle and traveling through time or something. It was like a future motorcycle then. Yeah. It was kind yeah. of a, a time travel variation on Knight Rider. Oh. Well, we were spoiled back then. Not that there's not a lot of good stuff now. Yeah. It's just uh, it's a different vibe well, now because they used to pu- they used to pump out like 26 episodes of stuff and filmed in Canada. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out now. It's not a lot of stuff that I want to watch. Like I'm not going and watching a whole bunch of Marvel on Disney. My thing. Okay, so like my my Star Wars thing at this point at this point here's my new excuse that i've developed for star wars it's like uh, i don't want to start i gotta watch all this stuff like there's so much <laughs> yeah. to watch i've already watched all this star trek like come on like because like if i went over there i would i would want to watch all of it and i don't i don't have the time one of the things <laughs> is with the whole era that we're in now is there's so much content and a lot of it's very high quality but there's so much that we only have so much time to watch, right? It's not like it used to be where there was they there was only enough shows to watch on like Friday and Saturday or whatever because that's right. when they were on. You watched them right. when they were on the TV. Yeah. But with the with all the Disney, Marvel, Star Wars stuff, I agree. It's like if you get burned, it's hard to keep it up. And if you're just watching something, you're like, ah, I don't, I don't really get why. Like, where is this going? How is this going to benefit me in the long run? And I think Star Trek has a little bit of an advantage there because at least when it's done well, it's talking about things that matter to people and are kind of interesting. And generally speaking, has a sort of positive outlook, which is especially these days is kind of a nice thing to watch. It is. On the other hand, that all being said, one of the best things I've seen in probably the last decade is the Andor show. I did not expect it to be what it was. And I'm not going to spoil that for anybody. Okay. But when, when that show was announced, I was like, why the hell would they make a show about this guy? <laughs> and then the show came on and I was like, this is genius. I'm shocked that Disney produced it. And it has kind of a similar vibe to me as Deep Space Nine, not in terms of the themes necessarily, mm-hmm. but I think Deep Space Nine got away with a lot of it got away with because the producers weren't paying attention because they were focusing on their babies first the ending of tng and then spooling up voyager for the upn network so deep space nine was kind of just trucking along in the background Mm -hmm. and they they were able to do things that probably would have gotten major studio notes yes if they were the only show and andor feels similar in that sense that Uh, they got to do and say things on disney (laughs) that you would not expect disney to normally allow to be (laughs) Reduced. Whereas um, the other shows, yeah, some entertaining Star, Star Wars stuff, <laughs> okay. but not making me think about the world in a different way. Andor made me think about the world uh-huh. um, in a in a different way, and that's normally why I watch Star Trek or uh, some of the other sci-fi that you know we might read or or watch. It's a little bit more interesting than than Star Wars tends to be. I think this is the jingle for Patrick made Earl's day. Yeah, <laughs> we're having a, a little piece about about Star Wars. I'm sure he greatly appreciated it, and that's really interesting. I you you've piqued my interest about this Andor show. I would say that one's a highly highly worth uh, watching for anybody who's generically interested in sci-fi and or politics and or sort of just the uh, trials and tribulations of humans under the stress of fascism. Huh. <laughs> it's, it's pretty. It's pretty pretty interesting. It's it's very now and and again that's, that's where 
uh, that's where I think I think Star Trek does well. And, and and honestly, sometimes Star Trek shies away. I think sometimes modern Star Trek, and I, I count the 90s Star Trek in there, it doesn't mm. always hit things head on, right? You know, oh, sometimes yeah, it was more obliquely. Sure. Uh, whereas the 60s Star Trek was, was really good at hitting things fairly head on. Mm. And we still get that. Star Trek still does that. I think it's a little bit fewer and far between. Uh, but they still do it. And I think even in a, you know, the, there was nothing hugely groundbreaking in this particular episode of Lower Decks. But, you know, the themes about family and responsibility to your family and yeah. to yourself and to your own identity mm-hmm. i think yeah i mean my my favorite line in the whole episode uh was when tendy was uh apologizing for quote unquote you're you're seeing the real tendy and Talin is like uh-huh. incorrect you you are who you choose to be a yes. starfleet lieutenant and a loyal friend i was like in tears when i when yes. i heard that i was like that that's is- really good advice that all of us, it's helpful to hear, you know? I was annoyed that it came out of Talyn. I like that it came out of the Vulcan character because I think that's where the Vulcans can be most useful is when they're sort of plainly stating something with no affect. In this case, not always, but it it has the opportunity to have more impact because it's the quote-unquote emotionless, logical person and they're just stating it flat out they're like no here's the deal spock would do that from time to time where he could just say something about humans and you'd be like whoa that's a good point something that if you heard mccoy or somebody else say it or mariner and maybe you're like oh she's just making her friend feel better she doesn't Uh, necessarily think that a hundred percent from to specifically though i feel like there's something that she could have hit boimler with much earlier in the episode Mm. last episode i think that the fact that this is able to come so easily off her lips at the appropriate time says that she has a problem <laughs> with yeah. with those guys. Like, I don't think she likes them. Or maybe she... maybe she learned a lesson last episode. Maybe uh, she was like, you know, these humans are kind of dumb. You gotta hmm. <laughs> you gotta be straight straight up with them uh, way quicker. We're being. She was like, I was being way too subtle, and she was not, by the way, being subtle with Boimler. Uh. <laughs> she, she was like telling him. I mean. She was being more. She wasn't being as direct as she was here. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Mine. The, the head canon <laughs> is that she she learned from her experience from uh, Boimler that I like uh, it. non-Vulcans maybe need to. You need to be a little more blunt. Yeah, I like it. Yes, that's that's my new head canon as well. I'm I'm really enjoying Talyn. I mean, I know everyone everyone liked her in Wage Douge when she was introduced, and folks were kind of sad when she wasn't really in season three. And Mike McMahon was like, oh, yeah, um, I didn't realize everyone was going to like Talyn so much. We'll put her in a bunch of season four. And uh, so far, it's been pretty cool. My my phone rang while we were recording, and normally I wouldn't pick it up. But I looked over, and it turned out to be Earl Grey. Oh, nice. Yes. Can, can you and... hear him, Patrick? Oh, I, I can hear you. Earl Grey, can you hear me? Hi, Patrick. Uh, Oh, hi, you can hear. Excellent. Well, he can't actually hear you. I'm oh. realizing now because you're in headphones. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, you caught us right in the middle, right, right toward the ending of, uh, of a recording. Yeah, I was trying to call in on the show. Well, here we are. Welcome to the show. Let me, I'm going to see if I can just pull these headphones out and maybe that'll work for us. Let's see. Well, well I was trying to call in on Zoom. Oh, did you, oh, yeah. you, Let did you in, receive yeah. the invite? I did, okay. late, like now, and then okay. it was already time to make dinner. So if you call the number now, it should pop you into Zoom. 
let's do this really quickly while we see if we, I can figure out these uh, technical difficulties with Carl. <laughs> let's check out the specialty cocktail created by the Scorch1701 on Twitter. Um, this week, I think we're going to be doing uh, Lieutenant JG, Devon Attendee's Science Surprise. There's a whole thing about butterfly pea vodka this week. It's a whole vibe. It's always a whole vibe with these cocktails. Is that a, is that a real thing? Butterfly pea vodka? Yes, P-E-A. So butterfly, as in, what, are they sliced but, sliced peas? Like butterfly, <laughs> like butterfly shrimp? Or is it her? Or, of course, because I initially just thought you meant like butterfly pea as in the urine of a butterfly. This is what I not, thought as well. <laughs> which I thought, that doesn't sound that appealing. Like, that takes a longer time to harvest than saffron. <laughs> like... That's it is a lot of meticulous work. I mean, I'm adventurous. I'd give it a try. I haven't really looked it up, but I I've sort of read an overview, and I believe that it is basically the bud of a flower that butterflies usually drink from. I see. Although, don't take my word for it. <laughs> Definitely look it up yourselves. Uh, but uh, Gallifrey's joining me for this cocktail, and uh, we'll be right back after that. Hi, I'm Jack from Two Minute Trek. I watch Trek with my dad and then we review it in two minutes. So, if you'd like your podcast to be shorter than a trip on a turbo lift, search up Two Minute Trek wherever you listen to. Let's talk about Treks. Rustling papers, rustling papers. by the Scorch 1701, and uh, this week it is uh, Lieutenant J.G. Devon Attendee's Science Surprise. Why don't you tell us all about this cocktail? Hey, so this is a Science Surprise. The ingredients, we got tonic water, ice crust, three ounces of lime juice, one and a half ounces of ginger syrup, three ounces of butterfly pea vodka, and extra tonic water. Can you tell me the instructions so I can do this? Yes. So you want to pour the tonic water into ice cube trays and freeze overnight. Yes, that is the. You want to fill a tumbler with crushed tonic water ice. Yes, you there. You want to pour ginger syrup and lime juice all over the ice. Pour the butterfly pea infused vodka and top with tonic. And then you go and deactivate standard illumination. Activate ultraviolet light. All right, are we ready? Yes. Computer change standard old illumination and activate. Um, Say it again. That was, no, thank you. Though. I was just kidding. Tastes like a spicy lemonade. <laughs> it does. Taste like a spicy <laughs> There's also something else to it. Hmm. Mm. Okay. All right. So what's what's your what's your setting for this? Uh, Gorgeous hotel. Check it into a hotel. You waiting in the lobby. Uh-huh. Wait for your your room to be ready. Okay. So you can check in. <laughs> what kind of party do you think you would go to and receive this cocktail? This would be like a, a cocktail that I will give you as soon as you walk in there. 
It's be like a boxer party car show. You know, search your door. What kind of function? I mean, like a like casual function. Okay. Like a casual get together, you know, after work, casual pissing at them. It seems to taste purple to me, but it is the color of lemonade. Yeah, it's it's very much spicy lemonade. It's like spiked lemonade. So while I was looking up the back of the special ingredient, this week was the three ounces of butterfly pea vodka. I, one version of butterfly pea vodka that I found, which is made by the company Unicorn, changes color based on temperature. So when you freeze it, the ice cubes are blue, and then as it melts into your drink, it turns it pink. So I think we're going to have to try and get some of that. They didn't have any at the local store. Okay. Uh, get some of the internet at some point. Okay. If you were s- stuck underneath of a piano at the uh, at the bottom of a stairwell, and the door was locked to get in, like you're going in, you know, you're down like a basement store, and the door is locked to get in, the gate is locked at the top of the stairs to get up, and the piano is dangling over you, and they're like, well, we're going to drop this on you. Unless you give us a number between, say, I think one in ten to raise this guy. What would you tell them? Seven. Seven. Yeah. So out of the, this is the fourth cocktail of the season. Out of the four that we've had so far. What I reckon? Yeah, like a, three. Okay. <laughs> give it a three. What was the best one so far? Uh. See, you asking the asking the drug mine, so. <laughs> I can't even remember, but I'll say like the... We had the Vincent Boimler's 31 Swish. Uh, there was the uh, Lieutenant Ransom. See, I so my, my thing is race. like all these, all the these loops. cocktails this season uh-huh. are like different. They're like, like, like weird. Like fun. Yeah. <laughs> <don't> okay. <wanna, laughs> you know what I'm saying? I want to say like weird. They, Cause you like, what? I think like, what you're saying is like they fit the theme so well yeah. that they're like very unique. Yeah, like very, like very, very unique. Um, it's just like what, like what, like what, <laughs> like what kind of vodka? Right. <laughs> what kind of juice? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> you know what I'm Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's fun, adventurous. So you know, okay. I mean, so far I give by. Drinking all these cocktails this season, I would think that, you know what I'm saying, it was fun, different. So, you know, I would, yeah, I would say that I'm really enjoying it because these are like mixtures that I, I, would, I wouldn't even think to, you know what I'm saying? I would right. go to the bar, I would be like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't even think to like mix together. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're fun, okay. adventurous, and that, so. Yeah. Yeah, they give I you, give this I give this like a salmon. They yeah. give you different ideas yeah. for Rick, like if you yeah. were having a party you could yeah. have different yeah. different it, flavors yeah. of drinks. I don't know how I don't know how people will take to it, but <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm Ooh, like have a party have just like a okay, so you could have a Star Trek themed party. What where different cocktails? You have yeah. these different cocktails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And these yeah. are, like, you just put them yeah. up, put up a menu, yeah. and these are the yeah. only cocktails you can get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. happy pudding. Well, this has been fun. Thanks for coming back to Let's yeah. Talk About Treks. It's always great having you here. Thank you for having me. All right, we'll see you next week. All right. All right. Bye.
Welcome back to Let's Talk About Checks, everybody. I am still Jack Dorino. I'm still Patrick Ireland from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. Yes. How about that? I tell you, the cocktail, what you know, just now was uh, was a lot. It's always a lot. It's always a, I'm learning with the scorch that it's always there's always a specific character to each drink. Like the scorch really does an artful job with all of these cocktails. I really do think that if you were going to, you could have a whole like a if you had like a corks bar like they used to have in Vegas. I think at the- I, I went there. It was great. Did you? Did they yeah. have different beverages that were themed sort of thusly? They did. I had something. I have a picture of myself with it. Um, I can maybe I can put it on Twitter or something, uh, on social media. I should say all the social media. Um, at mm. Scott Star Trek. Um, it was a big bowl with uh dry ice in it, and so it was uh, a giant bowl of green liquor, and yeah, you know, it was a mixed mixed drink of some sort with multiple straws and and dry ice that was all spooling out. And it was right around the corner from an oxygen bar, which was uh, just as stupid as it sounds, but it was still fun because yeah. they just they just <laughs> they strap you to an oxygen tank yeah. as if you have COPD or something, except it's a colorful tubes. <laughs> and then they're like, don't you feel refreshed? <laughs> I, like, I, I feel like I'm I'm flammable now is what I feel like. <laughs> I, I saw those oxygen bars when I was there and I was very curious, but I also felt like I was going to be grifted. Because it's oh, just yeah. like it's, it's I can nonsense. Just breathe oxygen myself. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, it was fun, uh, but it was it was definitely nonsense. But yeah, the Quarks bar was good. And you're saying that these uh, the, the Scorch's drinks are like that. Now, is yeah. the Scorch doesn't happen to be based in the Washington D.C. area, are they? This is information I am unaware of. I know uh, very little about the Scorch. I was just gonna say it'd be awesome for us to get together because we're we're local to each other. You know, we, we have the indeed. opportunity to yeah. interact and and real life and. And, uh, this is a factual statement. Doing it over a drink would be a good way, <laughs> a good idea. Oh, agreed. Whether or not the Scorch could join us, maybe we could just uh, uh, drink one of the Scorch's concoctions. <laughs> the, but, the end of the season, we line up yeah. 10, 10 of the all, all of the drinks from the season and try each one of them. <laughs> I'd be down for that. <laughs> Even the one that's, uh, what is it, Caterpillar Piss? Yeah, that'd be oh, no problem. Caterpillar Piss Rum. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, the Butterfly Pee. Yeah, Butterfly oh, yes, yeah. 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 Uh, Same thing, I think. Yeah, same <laughs> idea. Yeah. Um, the jealousy tip at the end of the episode with our, with our poor four or whatever it is we're calling these five people do you think that there is actually jealousy involved because i think that boimler and rutherford had a good time i think that they did yeah boimler would have liked to see orion yeah but would he have actually liked to see orion don't you think he would have been like kind of terrified the whole time he was there it maybe not have been any use anyway it's a good question with from what we know about boimler certainly past boimler would have perceived that he would be interested in doing it, but once he actually got there and saw the reality of it, then he might freak out. Right. Uh, I guess one way to interpret this is that Mariner is 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 thinking about that previous jealousy that Boimler would have had, but Boimler is demonstrating no, actually, we we did have a good time, so I'm not jealous. I, I don't know. I I, I kind of saw it that way. Oh, Greg keeps trying to trying to pop in and, and and join us for some reason the technology is not uh not playing fair with us today well that's too bad if if you said things now you'd be audible oh okay well uh greetings uh hello <laughs> let's talk about trex fans yes and welcome patrick welcome to the show thank you for filling in for me mm-hmm. 
Thank you. Unfortunately, I have not seen this episode yet, but I just want to fill you in on my away mission. Okay, sounds great. I am currently down on the planet Arrakis. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, perform emergency and um, uh, helping out the local indigenous population. <laughs> okay. They they desperately need the the Federation's aid in this. That I would volunteer for the mission. Uh-huh. Um, things are going smoothly uh, for now. Okay. And uh, uh, we look forward to uh, being back on a regular rotation of missions as soon as possible. Sounds great. Uh, we have some. Um, brief uh uh missions to go through um this week uh in various locations around the planet but uh uh we will keep jack in in the loop on what is going on as far as our away mission well thank you for that yes i also earl wants to thank or thank Grayson for uh, previously, uh-huh. as well as uh, Isaac from uh-huh. Unplanned Trek. Yes. Um. Thank you all for for filling in during my unintended absence. Yeah. Um. You. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you for reminding me of just how many ums have to be generally redacted from your audio (laughs) channel. I appreciate that, and and also and also uh, I appreciate you checking in with us. I'm sorry the technology was not working exactly the way that it should be. Perhaps we'll do a test at some point. Should you still be on your away? mission next week uh we've gotten lots of well wishes for you and i hope that you are faring well and that your charge is you know doing the study improve which is what we always hope for those who've gone through things yes i'll be able to give more details at another time but yes sounds good uh do you have any questions a mission uh not at present maybe once we've gotten the the uh hailing frequency more solid okay I was wondering if you or what our fans had knowledge of so far. Oh, nothing. Just that you had to go help someone who was oh, okay. not who who is going through something. I was yeah. So I'm kind of winging it and make, trying to make it sound Star Trekky. Yes, we are. We are all on on board with you. Yeah, we got it. So that that's why all the ums. Yeah, I I understand. Thank you. <laughs> But again, thank you, Patrick, for filling in while you could. Is there anything that he's sharing with with you to share with me? Um, He appreciates your thanks and also says thank you and wishes you well and a safe and quick return, you know, once it's an appropriate time for you to do so. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep this brief. I apologize for... You're going to what? uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
briefer than it already has been? That's not okay. <laughs> All right. Long solid than it already has been. What now? Uh, okay. Well, I was going through briefs and boxers and... I got you. <laughs> Even shorter. Yes, understood. Yeah, where was I going? I think you were going to, Earl. We will talk to you soon. I hope you stay positive, dream big, and we'll hear from you soon. Yes, thank you very much for the well wishes. Absolutely. And to our fans as well, if you've missed my voice, stay positive, dream big, and you'll hear from us again soon. Yes, thank you. Okay, so Les, this is the first time Earl has been able to check in with us during the show. So again, you know, uh, keep Earl in your prayers and, uh, you know, keep the thoughts to positivity because as we all know, time and space is the same thing as thought and love, right? That's what the traveler <laughs> teaches us. Oh yeah, that traveler who steals, steals young boys away from their, their loving mothers. Yes, come come with us. Someone recently said uh, we were having a conversation about Neelix and Kess. Oh, fuck, yeah, Jesus Christ. I said, I said something about, like, I can't imagine, like, trying to explain it. Like, how does he explain that? And then he goes, well, she doesn't present as two. <laughs> she doesn't identify as two years old. And I was like, I would love. To see Neil, I wanted like I want that AI picture of like Neelix sitting in court with Kess on the stand. <laughs> yeah. He's telling the judge, but she didn't present as to. He's charged as a space creep, and uh, he's like, she didn't have ID on her. Oh That's gosh. hilarious. All right, so in summation, let's say, uh, supposing that a Dalek had you pinned into a corner with its little <laughs> blue laser eye pointed at your forehead, and it said, <laughs> you must give me a rating for this episode, what would mm. you do? All right, well, first I would ask this Dalek, what's yeah. the scale? What scale are we talking about? The scale is 1 to 10. One to ten. Um, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I always try to guard against recency bias because it is a big problem, especially in a television program that you enjoy generally. Sure. But uh, so it, you know, it's it's a little tricky. But I don't know. I really enjoyed this. Uh, a, a couple key points being they used fairly standard story storylines, but did them in surprising ways. They shifted them and they shifted your expectations. Kind of the opposite of what happened last week. In the last week's episode, I found that the storylines to be very predictable and that mm -hmm. impacted my mm -hmm. enjoyment a little bit of it this was they took sort of you know age-old mm. storylines of family and this that and the other thing and they mm. uh they but they went a different way with it i thought that was great and i always love the animation the performances always blow my mind these these voice yeah. actors do such a great job the writing is so good like i i harped on on forever about how the characterizations are so solid mm -hmm. um which is not always the case in star trek uh, sometimes in star trek they choose the story and then they put the characters into the story that they want to tell as opposed to telling a story this that emerges from their characters i'm looking at you voyager i love this voyager but i'm still looking at you and in this this i thought was a really good example of that so out of 10 i i'd have to give this one a solid eight i think i really hmm. i really enjoyed this uh, it still wasn't you know necessarily the best episode in the world but I, I i had a really good time watching this and like i said i even teared up when talyn was talking about being yourself basically the vulcan version of being yourself and i yes. thought that was a that was great i'm going to agree with you you know i had thought maybe one point lower than that 
it was as we've had this conversation here that I've realized, yeah, it was very intricately put together, like in a way, just like you said, that expectations could make it be like a really easy and simple flop. Mm -hmm. But instead, it turns some ideas on their head, like sort of twists them like a quarter turn. So they have a little different bit of a different aspect to them. Like they look and feel a little different. It did leave a lot of questions for me, but that might be actually a good aspect of the storytelling because a lot of those questions are around this basically this new culture well not new mm -hmm. culture but this yeah but underexplored culture yeah than they ever have so i have a lot of questions about that especially around like tendy's attachment to starfleet and what you know like did she have to renounce her family in order to be there like it's this sort of like a we're okay with pirates but we're not okay with genetically modified people like, what, yeah. how, what is this yeah, interaction with yeah. Starfleet? <laughs> yeah. One eye, because we're, we're not pirates, right? Yeah. <laughs> I liked uh, Brotherford. Mm -hmm. As soon as I heard it for the first time, I was like, wait, did they plan that way back yeah. at the beginning? Because it's so perfect. As a portmanteau, it's, it's, it's a fantastic portmanteau. It's pretty perfect. We should have seen it coming when they moved into that room mm -hmm. and they were in bunk beds. I'm like, wait, why are they in bunk? Because mm -hmm. Tilly and Michael got two beds from like across the room from yeah. each other in the these guys giant discovery <laughs> in the giant rooms that discovery has yes well i think we i think the other is an example of how they kind of took took things in a slightly different direction than expected because yeah i think a lot of people were probably expecting oh i know what they're going to do they're going to do an odd couple story but they didn't they're like the same couple yeah. story and it's yeah. how when you have two people who are are similar in certain ways and how that similarity conflicts right they weren't arguing over one person being messy and the other one being clean <laughs> We're arguing over who gets the who gets to squirt water onto to a plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who who gets to tidy up? Who gets to take care of things? Yeah, I really like the strong establishment of that uh, relationship and getting some some that underway. I'd like to see their their little hijinks together. I'm also enjoying the the girls trip side of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that that split off over there. They have a, like a good balance. They have like a Kirk mccoy uh spock sort of balance to them and i kind of like and i didn't think about it really until this episode where talyn has been introduced but unlike a lot of sort of stereotypical standard shows where they'd make a big deal about introducing her she just kind of introduced at the beginning of the season as being part of this group and pretty well integrated already yeah and i think that's kind of cool and they it's kind of something they've done on star trek before where sometimes it's just like oh yeah this person's just like hanging out and now they're here and everyone's cool with yeah. them yeah i like that i like the easy weave of a new character into the story like a row yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Roe is a perfect example of that, where just, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this person's just been around? I guess yeah. so. So I, yeah, so I also come away with a rating of eight for this episode. Excellent. The next episode of Star Trek Lower Decks is called Empathological Fallacies. Yes. This is the one where three Betazoid women cause utter chaos aboard the Starship Cerritos. I'm very curious about this, because when I read that uh, synopsis online... It made me think of that episode Bounty in Enterprise with the uh -huh. uh, the uh, Orion uh, women who caused they came on board and caused a ruckus. Yeah. I I'm positive that's not the direction they're going to go, but they might be playing with that idea. So I'm looking forward to next week's episode. I'm going to I'm, I'm excited to see how they take this this storyline they've teased and how they actually end up presenting it. Yes, I wonder what things are going to add on and tie together 
and be part of this episode because we've been sort of like establishing some Betazoid stuff and we've been doing some, mm-hmm. some Orion stuff. So I'm wondering what all things are going to be together. I heard a doorbell in the background. Mm. I think that means that we have a guest who's finally a special guest found his way. <laughs> Welcome. Let's talk about treks. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Hi, you you caught us. You caught us right at the end of the episode. Wonderful timing, Earl Grey. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks. Yes, I thought I would just uh, r- report in and catch up, catch you up on my away mission. Oh, great. Let's do that <laughs> <laughs> again. Things are going. Smoothly, if unplanned, we have some meetings coming up in the next couple of days. Uh Okay. We had a little bit of a setback last weekend. Mm -hmm. I think it was last weekend, but uh, things are progressing. (laughs) Days running together. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, days are definitely running together. I think I missed Mm. like three of them in a row, uh, where I was like, what day is it? What month and what year? Unfortunately, I have not had an opportunity to view this week's episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Lower Decks. That one, too. Lower Decks. (laughs) (laughs) Season 3, episode 90. Or episode 4. We're close. You were very close. They were all numbers. (laughs) The Ocarina of Deadliness. Okay, so we are, as I mentioned, right at the end of the episode, Earl. So I'm going to I'm going to throw it to you in just a second. I'm going to say thank you, Patrick, again for being here. I I can't imagine how it must have been to go through this episode twice. (laughs) Oh, it was fun. Like as I as I said earlier, it allowed me to correct a number of errors I made on my own podcast and to steal some of the ideas from my co-hosts and present them as my own. (laughs) We appreciate that. Thank you, Patrick, for filling in while I've been gone on my away mission. Thanks so much. I really appreciate the invite. Uh, I'm a listener to the program, so oh, thank you. Uh, it was, it's was it been a real honor and truly, sincerely, a really exciting opportunity to get to get to join you this week. Great. Thanks also I to Grayson it. and Isaac from the last two episodes that they were uh, yes. covering for me. And Brian Kane, who is, comes between these you just having probably didn't get into it. And Brian Kane. You had an extra episode with Brian Kane too, I right? Did. I didn't yes, that one yet. You had some extra, one out all secret. <laughs> extra content. Yes. So it was good to pop out a little extra content from time it to time. Yeah. yeah. So Earl, you want to... Until next time, when I get to yes. be here in person with you again, uh-huh. uh, do your best as well as I will. Uh-huh. Uh, stay positive, uh-huh. dream big, always, and you'll hear from us again soon. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. I recently saw at the local comic book shop here 
Star Trek DS9 Dog of War, and some of them had very oh, yes. covers heard, with yeah. corgis on them. It's simulated by the Borg. Wait, what? <laughs> Assimilated corgis? Yes. Were they the Queen's corgis? That's the question. <laughs> Ooh, that would be interesting. They could have been the Queen's corgis. Maybe the Borg heard that they were they're going to bury them with the Queen, <laughs> Egyptian style. And the Borg were like, no, we have to rescue the corgis. Oh, my God. Them. They were going to bury them with the Queen? <laughs> I don't know. You don't hear about them anymore. <laughs> so, like, I guess uh, I did hear at one point they said Andrew was going to Prince Andrew was going to take care of them but that doesn't bode well yeah exactly I mean who wants to be dealing with that guy yeah that guy and Neelix hang out at the same places I don't know much about Andrew that's probably for the better well if you do a Google search (laughs) you'll be like oh yeah you're probably good alright so uh, so I'm going to hit end now